0: Who's got the clicker? Where's the uh, sermon thing? Is that here? What's going on, baby? I'm on? Okay. Let's pray. Father, help us all that are here or listening to this sermon to these series to see your glory to know that no matter what struggles sovereignly come into our lives nothing down here is worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to all the sons of God who have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So help us see Your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. This is the first sermon, in a series of three sermons, and the series is titled, The Bible in So-Called Same-Sex Marriage. It's going to be a rather long introduction this morning for the whole series. Why am I doing it? You might not know this, but probably not everyone knows why I'm doing it. First is this, back in June, the Supreme Court of the United States made a ruling on a case and it was five to four, the majority wins, and by so doing, they had de facto, legally changed the definition of marriage by saying, a man and a man, a woman and a woman, along with a man and a woman, may be issued Marriage licenses in counties and states and it is forced through the court for them to do so. This cultural and legal shift is unprecedented in human history. And here we sit right in this building this morning as Bible-believing Christians. And overall, this series is to say if you are a believer, if you hold to the Scripture, you are not to submit to it. You are not to condone same-sex marriage explicitly or implicitly. If we believe this is the inerrant, infallible Scripture... We must stand for the definition of marriage that has been given by our Creator, by God, in order that it point to the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, to the church, the bride. And so why this series? Too immediate... Reasons. The first reason is because this cultural and legal tidal wave that is sweeping over our land will bring persecution to those who make their stand on the scripture. And therefore, that's not enough yet. Therefore, it is crucial for each of you to think about, to know your Bible, and to know why it is crucial to stand and be persecuted for it. Those churches, those church leaders who don't ask the question, why, have already caved or will cave to the culture around them and lose the only saving gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not a small issue. It is not about differences of baptism or gifts of the Spirit. This is central. It's not peripheral to the church. In the ruling, those of you who don't know we have a Supreme Court it's federal and what they say therefore all the states are subjugated Two, we have nine seats and the vote was five to four the four were really against it and I'm going to quote from two the chief justice of the United States Supreme Court John Roberts in his dissenting opinion, writes, The ruling creates serious questions about religious liberty. Many good and decent people oppose same sex marriage as a tenet of faith. And their freedom to exercise religion is, unlike the right imagined by the majority, other five. Their freedom to exercise religion is actually spelled out in the Constitution. When marriage was redefined democratically, that is not through the courts, but through representatives in Congress, when marriage was redefined democratically, citizens could accompany it it with religious liberty protections. But the majority's decision imposing... Same-sex marriage cannot, and of course, it cannot create any such accommodations for religious freedom. Justice Alito, also dissenting in his opinion, writes, This opinion, by the majority, will be used to vilify Americans who are unwilling to assent to the new orthodoxy of same-sex marriage in the course of its opinion the majority compares traditional marriage laws that excuse me it compares traditional marriage laws to laws that denied equal treatment for black Americans The implications of this analogy will be exploited by those who are determined to stamp out every vestige of dissent. I dissent. And I hope all of you dissent from this decision. Alito goes on. I assume that those who cling to old beliefs, he means Bible beliefs, They will be able to whisper their thoughts in the recesses of their homes. But if they repeat those views in public, they will risk being labeled as bigots, just as others were truly racist. They will risk being labeled as bigots and treated as such by governments, employers, in schools. By imposing its own views on the entire country, the majority facilitates the marginalization of the many Americans who have traditional views of marriage. End quote. So, my first immediate reason, therefore, is that we must be convinced from God's Word. Not shallowly, but to understand why it is a grave and an important, deep issue to be convinced from God's Word about the definition of marriage, of sin, and of salvation in Jesus Christ. Because if you're not down the road, you will not stand when persecution and the culture heat up against those who hold the biblical definition of marriage. That's the first reason for this series. The second reason is this. We must stand against affirming, praising, endorsing homosexual activity and same-sex marriage for love's sake because believers are called to love their neighbors as they love themselves we must stand against it for true love's sake for the salvation of souls so the reason that I am and will continue to be clear by God's grace that all same-sex activity with other persons is sin It's because I'm called to love my neighbor as I love myself the most deceptive new speak from Orwell In our day and within the church is from Christians saying, and they will say more and more, well, we should change our view on marriage and homosexual activity within monogamous relationships because it's the loving thing to do. Many of you know back in June when the decision came down, and all over social media and on the TV set, there were throngs of people at courthouses, in front of the Supreme Court, and everywhere else with placards saying, Love wins. And it makes me want to cry. Because love doesn't win. And you know what it really means? It means all those Christian bigots lose. Don't let them take your language. You must be clear on this issue in order to love people. I say love will stand and it will stand for the only news that will save souls, heterosexual or homosexual souls, for eternity. Dr. Albert Moeller, president of Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, counsels us as fellow believers, writing this in his newest book. We cannot understand our times without looking honestly at the moral hurricane sweeping across our culture, leaving very little untouched, if not radically changed in its wake. But understanding is just a start. When it comes to marriage and morality, Christians cannot be silent not because we are morally superior, but because we know that God has a better plan for humanity than we would ever devise ourselves. The church cannot abdicate its responsibility for Christian truth-telling in a postmodern age. The secular conditions make it more challenging and difficult, even seemingly impossible at times. Yes, our culture is growing more and more resistant to a God, any God who would speak to us with words such as thou shalt and thou shalt not. So my second reason for this series is so that we can love people, know the truth, be grounded in it, on this issue. So now before this morning I get to the objective Word of God dealing with the doctrine of sex and marriage in the Bible. I want to make a few subjective (sighs) personal comments first I hate mean-spirited bigotry against homosexual persons that there have been and that there are within churches and within secular society, such people is morally disgusting to me. By that I mean the bigotry of, I am a heterosexual, I can't believe that you would have such desires, and I am therefore superior to you, and to treat any other human being who is made in God's image as if they are lower than you, is disgusting to me secondly if you ever come across a professing christian who used to be against the practice of homosexuality or of same sex marriage until their child or sibling or friend came out into the open about their homosexuality and they changed their mind it tells you one thing That person, as a so-called Christian, is profoundly shallow. Does not understand the Gospel, nor the Scripture. And their former, I am against homosexual practice, was therefore most likely rooted in a prideful, arrogant bigotry against homosexuality. Number three... None of what I will say over these three weeks flows from any personal disgust over same-sex sexual activity. It flows out of compassion for those who find their sexual natures so broken that they're bent toward homosexual desire. I say it, and what I'm going to say, in light of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And finally, I have I have close friends who are same sex attracted, who have had homosexual relationships and battles in their lives. I have loved them and I do love them very much. In fact Probably 90% of you in this room have read my spiritual autobiography that's up back on that table. I'm going to give you one sentence. It may have blown by you, I'm doing it for a reason. In chapter 4, in my years in the late 80s, in Dallas, Texas, Christ for the Nations, I write this line. That circle of friends will forever be etched into my affections, Keith, Chris, Paul, Shad, Mike, Michael, Christine, Sonia, Denise, Marco and Todd. Just remove the women out of that. Three of those dear close friends were same-sex Attracted. I would discuss it with them. I would talk with them over it. I watched their battles and cry over it. I don't know if they want to blow their brains out over it. And a fourth of those never had a discussion, but down through the last few decades, I strongly suspect, had very strong leanings of same-sex attraction. Almost 30 years later I have had ongoing relationships with them two of those we were young men not anymore two of those were the closest male friends relationships I ever had in my life one was the best man at my wedding with him after decades talking for hours on the phone about all of life not just this issue rarely this issue we loved and love each other but watching the pain and the confusion and the alcoholism in broken relationships with women fear and his final disassociation from the local church, and his confusion over salvation, and what it is, and his pain, and his confession at turning 50, I just want to find a man, and just live out the rest of my life, I don't want to be lonely. I loved him then, I love him now. I care deeply. My wife and I both... Right before we were married back in 1993, a close friend of both of ours, one of these, went up in California because he enlisted in the Marines. This was before the Bill Clinton era. I think before his second year, he confessed to a superior of homosexuality and therefore was. Discharged from the marines we had at the church we used to go to there was a ministry out of that church that ministered to people coming out of homosexual lifestyles and we got him plugged into that he tried, he tried but my wife and I so remember that day where he says, I've got to come over, I want to talk to both of you, and he looked at us and he said, I can't do it anymore, I give up, I'm a homosexual, I'm going to live that life. There were years we did not communicate, lost touch, until the last number of years. We have been in communication. Right before he went into the penitentiary for drunk driving for the third time in Texas, I was probably the last person He called. I just want to say, why? Because He trusts me. He knows I love Him. So everything that I'm going to say in three weeks, understand, that's the context. I'm going to address the issue. So, here's my plan for the three weeks. This is the first week this morning. I will sit The foundation, but going to the Bible, looking at it, and say, How does the Bible define marriage and why? And next week, week two, we will consider the scriptures that are clear in condemning as sinful homosexual activity. And then in week three, okay. How are we to treat our children or siblings or friends who all they know is same-sex attraction so whether they come to faith in Jesus and have to fight that or whether they remain practicing neighbors who are really nice and are homeless how shall we therefore treat them and love them and understand them and not lose the gospel. Those were the three weeks. So, let's start at the beginning. Go to the book of beginnings. Genesis chapter 1. Starting here because the Supreme Court of the United States cannot redefine what it did not create. The creation of human beings as two sexes for marriage is God's idea. So, let's start right there. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man, Adam, mankind, in our image. After our likeness. So God created man, Adam, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Oh, that's a whole nother series, isn't it? Male and female, I just don't want to get caught up even talking. about Other than just yesterday, I was in a parking lot and walking to my car, there were two guys with a clipboard and they wanted my signature. Very nice men. And the signature was for to sign, he said, so that he would be allowed to enter the beauty pageant. And I said, is it a male beauty pageant? And I look at the top. No, it wasn't. He mumbled. And he finally, no, it's, it's not And I mean, I felt for him. I wish I had time to sit there and talk with him. He was a very nice, effeminate person. But I could not sign it. I believe that there are males and there are females. God created them. Male and female. God came up with the idea of sex. I mean that in the old way, gender, it used to be a grammatical term. We lost that battle. But two sexes, male and female, and the idea of having sexual relationships between males and females. He created us, male and female, men and women, utterly equal as human beings and radically different sexes. Just think about all the things that God created that must take place in order for sexual relations to happen. God had to create certain cells that have the ability to secrete bodily fluids. And it happens through sexually Erotic arousal in the male. That was not Satan's creation. That was not the result of sin or the fall. That was God's design. In creating human beings, God created this perfect mixture of visual stimulation that has to do with the mind, the imagination, along with the physical, mechanical, natural operations of the body. God thought that up. And then look at the next verse, 28. He goes on. And then God, the male and the female, blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So God creates man and woman to be able to be aroused and have sexual relations. And then He doesn't wait around and say, I wonder if they're ever going to figure it out. He says Go ahead and have sexual relations often. Be fruitful and multiply. Men and women, by God's design, are made to desire and to experience sexual relationship. To experience sexual intimacy as immaterial souls made in God's image with one another through physical intercourse. That's different than animals. But then, God goes on from creating us that way to revealing why and in what context this intimacy is to be enjoyed. Chapter 2 of Genesis. Starting with verse 22. In the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, He made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone in flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man she shall be called in the hebrew ishshah because she was taken out of ish therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become One flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The only place in God's design where this intimate pleasure is to be expressed is in the parameters of the covenant of marriage. The covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. Now I want you to turn over to the New Testament. To the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. We'll read one verse. Verse 4. writing particularly to professing Christians, the church. Let marriage be held in honor among everybody, all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled Why? Because God will judge the fornicator and the adulteress. Let marriage be held in honor. Honor here means it's precious, it's valuable the term there, the marriage bed, it's a euphemism for sex in marriage. It actually is the Greek word from which we get our English word, "coitus," Sexual intercourse. Look it up. Honor marriage and sex in marriage. You know what that means? That means every one of you here who is a married person honor marriage it means every one of you divorced people honor marriage it means every widow it means every single person it means every teenager honor Marriage, honor, sexual relationship of marriage. It means every same-sex attracted person. Honor, marriage. So how? We'll get to it in a second, but he says how. But the first thing is clearly this. We can honor marriage by holding to the biblical definition of marriage, which means coming against the so-called redefinition of marriage, of same-sex marriage. Eight years ago, I had this in my archives, Al Mohler wrote this, For the church, the very concept of homosexual marriage strikes at the heart of our biblical and theological foundation. According to the Christian tradition, marriage is not merely a social arrangement between two persons, but it's a God-ordained institution through which the Creator's glory is demonstrated to the universe. The covenant fidelity at the very center of marriage is a picture of God's purpose in the creation of the world and in the redemption of the church. He's right on. God, not society or courts, the Creator not the creature defines marriage and to be morally committed to honoring and fully committed to honoring marriage is to understand the purpose for why God created the universe why he created you and why he sent Jesus In this church, you know this, so I will summarize it. This is at the core of this issue. The entire universe was created for the glory of God. Human beings were created in God's image in order to image forth and to reflect God's glory. And as we just saw in Genesis 2, it was God who said, it's not good that the male should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. And so, God created not another male, but a female, a woman for Him. And then Adam, before sin, before the fall, recognized that this woman... The feminine, not the masculine, was the perfect complement to His sexuality and to His masculinity. And so God declared, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. A male and a female. And it's amazing how that one flesh relationship is non physical. Her femininity. We mean that's who she is. A perfect fit to his masculinity. And it is physical as the male genitalia complements the female genitalia and all of this is glorious because God created marriage in order to reflect as a parable as a metaphor the glory of Jesus Christ to the bride the church this is no small cultural issue. I want you to turn to Ephesians for a moment. Chapter 5. Ephesians 5. Paul writes, starting with verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word so that He, Jesus, might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that She, the Bride, the church, might be holy and without blemish In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of His body. And now he quotes Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two Shall become one flesh. And he's not done. And then he makes an earth shaking statement. This mystery in Genesis 2, marriage mystery, is profound. And I, Paul, am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. The marriage of Joe and Sonia LeMay, or of Adam and Eve, did not come. The purpose of the eternally glorious God to save by His eternal Son becoming a human being to redeem for Himself a people for His own possession who will be the feminine to the masculine. That's the reason there is marriage. And woe unto Him who says, I will pervert your peril. Therefore, it dishonors the glory of God when we dishonor marriage by participating in sexual relationships outside of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. For biblical Christians, the definition of marriage isn't up for a vote. It's not waiting for the Supreme Court to tell us what it is. Lesbian and homosexual relationships are not marriage by definition, but they are an expression of sin. They are the effects of the fall. They are the effects of sin upon our sexual natures. Just as heterosexual fornication is. Or heterosexual adultery is. They are expressions, no matter how much, but I love Him, no matter how much you feel, it is an expression sin. Therefore, to approve of homosexual relationships of really nice, kind, close friends of people whom you should be friends, whom you should be nice to, whom you should have in your homes, you should love To approve of that relationship as marriage is to fail, to honor marriage. It is to abandon the parable of Christ in the church. From a biblical worldview, sex makes sense only in the context of marriage. Sex outside of marriage is an insult to the Creator's design. Our, and I mean all of our sinful natures, when we act them out, display our dishonoring God's glory our sinful natures, our desires of sin beckon, feel, they demand. But I'm a heterosexual 18-year-old. Therefore, I ought to express it with another human being. That's sin. Or I am a same-sex attracted person. It's who I am. It's how I feel. I'm a sexual being and that's where my sexual desires go. Therefore, I ought to act them out. That's what sin demands. Biblical marriage is the grid for our understanding why sexual sins are so inherently sinful. And laid out as such in the Bible. For instance, adultery. If, you, if you, I just want to make it clear because I'm not sure everyone knows. But adultery, that means married persons having sexual relationship with other persons to whom they are not married. Adultery is sinful be- precisely because it robs God of His glory. It says to you, God, in what you're about, in what you are displaying. Marriage is intended to placard Christ. It is intended to display the covenant of fidelity to the wife. The wife to the husband. It's meant to do that in order that it points to the fidelity or to the faithfulness of Christ to the church. That's why the New Testament presents Christ and the church as the groom and the bride. Adultery is so abhorrent because it is is lying about who God is, and it lies about God's faithfulness in Jesus Christ. Sexual relationships with single people, with another single person. Heterosexual. It is... Inherently sinful, precisely because it is said, so I'm going to participate in what marriage represents without embracing the covenant that God has laid out in marriage, while rejecting identity and the purpose for God creating me and what He wants to placard. Sexual sins that are listed in the Bible from incest to bestiality to fornication to adultery to homosexual activity, they are revealed as inherently sinful because each of them is a desire for something less than God's completion in the covenant of marriage. We who are Christians simply cannot talk about sex without talking about marriage. We are united to Jesus Christ by a covenant, by the covenant making God. Therefore, we must talk clearly about relationship. Jesus. We must talk clearly about males and females, about sexual intimacy, about fidelity or faithfulness, about the reality of order within the covenant of marriage, because the Bible clearly puts marriage at the center of human existence as the pointer to Christ and the church. That's why the Bible declares Ephesians 5, 5 5-6. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ in God. Let no one deceive you with empty words through the churches. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Because of marriage, because of Christ, the bridegroom, the faithful one, and the church, the ones he's saving. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, Nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Thank God. For the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are all born broken. Sinful. Messed up. In all kinds of ways. Sexually and otherwise. Paul is not done. Look at the next verse. Immediately following verses 9 and 10 of First Corinthians 6, he says, In such homosexual practice, fornicators, adulterers, in such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Oh, hear it clearly. No sexual sin is beyond God's forgiveness. No sexual sin is too big or went on for too long for the blood of Jesus to absorb forever. Here's the good news. There's judgment on fornicators, on adulterers, on those who practice homosexual activity. But not on all of them. There is an escape from judgment for some. At the judgment day, there are two groups of people in the first group, there are those whose sins have been punished in Jesus Christ. They have been and are and will forever be finally, ultimately declared, cleansed. And there's a second group. Those whose sins will be the evidence of their deserved Condemnation at Judgment Day. Oh, if you haven't flee to Jesus, embrace the message of his life, death on the behalf of sinners, and his resurrection for your eternal life and forgiveness and justification forever. Let me just say, If you're a genuine believer, you come to Jesus out of who knows what kinds of backgrounds and what kinds of sins you still battle and wrestle with. If you're a believer, then the miracle of faith by the Spirit has united you to Jesus. And this is of you. You were washed. You were sanctified, set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so I say, no matter your past, fight against guilty consciences. Jesus took it fight against past sexual sins that may plague you. You've been washed. And then I say to you, who, where your sexual nature and its inclination is heterosexual for the opposite sex, if you are unmarried, you are not to fulfill those Innate, constant, very normal and natural desires with any other person outside of the covenant of marriage. And I say to any who experience same-sex sexual desires, you, you love Jesus, you Christian, are not to fulfill those desires with any other person. Ever. Sex is to be experienced only in the covenant of marriage to the opposite sex. So has the grace of God caused any of you to turn away from fornication, from adultery, from a homosexual lifestyle or a homosexual experience or promiscuous petting or an unlawful divorce, then honor marriage by living out the bridegroom's gift of forgiveness and cleansing. And don't let a guilty conscience rule you, but keep it under the blood of Jesus. And as we now will be turning to the table of our bridegroom, where He shed His blood, and we will use this parable of bread and the cup to, to, to get really close to the remembrance of that night and that next day on Calvary where He washed us clean. Know this believer, know this, right now, no matter what sexual desires you battle this day, there is therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No, Psalm 103. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, So far does He remove our transgressions from us. Praise God forever. Oh, Father, we thank You for such a Savior, for such a plan. From before the foundation of the world, You have chosen us to be in Your Son who will be our bridegroom forever. The faithful One who will never, ever turn away though we are faithless. You are good. May You strengthen marriages to live that out with sinners each and all. May You strengthen singles to live out the honoring of marriage and their sexuality. You are good, Father. May this be done joyfully because no matter the pain and no matter the struggles down here it is not worth comparing with a glory it shall be revealed to us lord jesus it's your second coming amen